Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve. Joining me once again, we've got Adam Myros. Hey, Steve. I'm really, I can't wait for uh, five years from now when the three of us get together once again to discuss people under the stairs for some reason. <laughs> wait, we've already done this one on the show? Yes, we did. Uh, uh, this is only available to our, our uh, beloved patrons now, but we did a Wes Craven sharking the jump. Oh, see, I wasn't on that episode, I don't think. So it I doesn't think you count. Were. I'm, I'm pretty oh. sure you were. I've, I've got early onset dementia, man. Just, just roll with it here. That's fine. We can put like bonus unlocked. We talk about a movie we already talked about. I wonder if I, if I like it better now. I'm going to have to listen to myself and see if I disagree. Um, yeah, anyway, speaking of professionalism, Jack Eason's here. Yeah, professionalism. You, you may hear some dog noise in the background. That's a professional dog I hired. Yeah, exactly. Because normally Jake's got all the pet noises, but he's not on this episode. So uh, we've got we got substitute dogs. That's it. Yeah, I don't remember if I was in the West Craven one either, but um... I, you were also. It was the three of us because we watched that fucking <laughs> absurd pornograph, uh, uh, pornography film. Oh, me, oh that's right. Pornograph. Is that like an old tiny machine where you, you like crank it up and like a little booby appears in a screen? <laughs> Sometimes you hit the, you just hit the wrong syllable and things go south right quick. <laughs> I remember I used to walk down and put a wooden nickel in the machine and watch the pornograph. <laughs> Those ladies would expose their knees. Yeah, we watched the fireworks man. I remember that fireworks man or woman or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm just imagining it being like, don't stop, 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 don't stop, and so on. Other porny dialogue in like old timey telegraph. Yeah, Cadence. and there's like one of those like uh, pianos, just a guy playing a piano in the background. So you, yeah, you watch a woman slowly like hike up her knickers and expose her ankle, and just like <laughs> if, if nothing stuff. else, we're, we must be making an incredible case for our Patreon. <laughs> it's like yeah, system episodes we don't quite remember doing. Yeah, yeah. back then I could speak English. <laughs> Yeah, back when Myros could speak English, back before I apparently melted my brain with, uh, you know, uh, rampant alcohol and drug abuse. Um, so, yeah, here, here we are. I don't remember something that we did five years ago, but we're back, baby. And uh, you know what? Five years ago, I didn't have a letterbox account to keep track of what I watched. And now I do. So I, I know when I've seen things, although I feel like this is like the, the fifth time this week that somebody's brought something up. And I'm like, pretty sure I've seen it don't remember anything about it so uh yeah i don't know maybe in a few years uh we'll just we can just start over from episode one of optimism vaccine and just go back through everything because uh, i won't remember shit but hey you know what uh we're, we're doing something a little topical uh no we're not doing a new release fuck you we're not doing a new release what's it what's in the theaters right now what could i possibly go and see you want me to go see the the, the boss baby the newest boss baby i'm not gonna go see the boss baby for you listener I've already done you that were once. so excited about the original boss baby <laughs> yeah exactly and it's it's a complete fucking text man i i think there i think there's a dollar amount where you would go see the boss baby too yeah exactly it's like 10.99 or whatever a ticket is but listen it's just you don't need a sequel to the boss baby it's not like oh 
Uh, here's this movie, uh, Hannah and her sisters and her new brother, the sequel. Like, no, that doesn't happen. You don't need that. Come on, man. There, there was no, we, we had the color purple. We didn't get the color purpler, did we? Huh? No, you don't need sequels. I, I see, I, I've, been, I've just been waiting with bated breath for you to suggest this Boss Baby sequel so I could once again opt out of a Boss Baby podcast. <laughs> no. People have been coming at me, too, because they know I was, like, wild about the original Boss Baby. Um, I, I prefer to think of the Boss Baby, like, conceptually as, like, an ideal thing for me. Um, it's like, you know, it's like your relatives that uh, they, they, like, are hardline Republicans, and they just post, like, low-res minion memes all the time. That's just like, oh, Sharia law is real. And that's like a minion dressed as a fireman laughing. Um, yeah. So like the, for me, the boss baby is that whatever that is like, it's it's just my my kind of like aesthetic ideal. But everybody was getting on me because they, they put out a boss baby TV show on Netflix. And they're like, oh, you're going to do a boss baby podcast on this. We want more boss baby. So I was like, all right, I'll throw you fuckers a bone. And I, I went to watch it. It looks like shit. Like, I mean, like, I mean. It is shit, but it looks like shit. The animation's terrible. So uh, put that one on ice, and now people are clamoring for more Boss Baby. You're not going to get it unless you uh, Venmo me 10 bucks, which I think, what's my Venmo? I'll look up my Venmo and plug it at the end. So if someone Venmos me, I'll go see it. Anyways, we're not talking about that. You know, that's, <laughs> we're going to have to decline that offer because if you subscribe to our Patreon at the highest tier, you, you could in fact dictate that we do a, a Boss Baby sequel episode. But if you Venmo Steve $10 directly, I can in no way guarantee that uh, any of us will this agree is, to participate. That is true. This, this is, is a good loophole. I know. I'm, do, I'm doing like uh, like cool tax evasion shit where you like cook the books, man. It's like, oh, you you could donate legitimately $25 or $20, whatever, or you pay me directly and I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like tax this evasion, but you come out worse in the end. Yeah, exactly. And then we're, we're all losers. Yeah, tax evasion, <laughs> but you have to watch the new Boss Baby movie. Well, I have noticed you've been using the Optimism Vaccine uh, email account for uh, various personal purchases. So maybe this is all part of some elaborate scheme. Yeah, no, I have... <laughs> I have it hooked. Can we do that? No, it's a long story. There's a reason why I've had to use it. It's 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 related to like PayPal and a bunch of other shit. My PayPal account got deleted. It's it's like a whole thing. I wasn't running a scam. I'm just burying myself right now. It's not my fault. I just assumed you were hiding things from your wife. No, no, I'm not. No, I. The thing is, I can only use PayPal with Optimism Vaccine because my old account, some like guy in the Ukraine, like hacked it and then charged like ten thousand dollars to it. Um, and then it took me like three weeks to get PayPal to believe that I wasn't like a Ukrainian guy, if you can believe it. And then they refunded all the money, but they forgot to take off the final like one cent. So I was at like negative one cent in my PayPal account. And then it hit some like arbitrary time period of like being in the negative and they just completely banned my account. So <laughs> I can't use <laughs> PayPal anymore because of the Ukraine and because someone at PayPal can't do math. The end. This Okay, we should do an episode on this. <laughs> yeah, this is we're we're doing. We're, this is going to turn into like a, a like an investigative uh, true crime podcast. Like, what the fuck happened to my That's PayPal? It's going to be serial, but it's Steve's PayPal. Yeah, exactly. People, People are going to be right? really invested in that. 
So I believe this digression, you were saying this podcast was relevant for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why. Also, I don't even know if you introduced Jack, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm I here. think I did. I, you know, <laughs> He's here. There he is. Professional. We talked yeah. with a professional dog I've got. Ah, okay, okay. Well, you know, yeah, I have see? brain rot, dude. No, so, we've brought yeah, everyone got the into fucking the fold. It's good. Dimension now, Mr. fucking Adam Pornograph. I, uh, I think I've already uh, <laughs> acknowledged my shortcomings of this episode. <laughs> We're gonna. That's another episode too. Patreon exclusive. Adam Myros just acknowledges all of his shortcomings as a person. <laughs> let's let's all let's all list our our, oh, our various moral failures. That that can be Easter twenty twenty two episode. Full Catholic guilt. Yeah, we self cancel. We just do a confession booth. I'm into that. All right, put it on the calendar. Um, hey, but no, for real, we're going to talk about movies, I promise. Um, <laughs> in fact, I wouldn't just say promise. I'd say that's a promise because we're going to be talking about a movie called Death Promise. Which is relevant. Why? Uh, well, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, the suspense is killing. Rich and powerful landlords are forcing helpless tenants out of their homes and they'll use any means to throw them out in the street. Death Promise, acclaimed by critics as a chilling and exciting motion picture in the tradition of Death Wish. Both the rich landlords have been getting away long enough. It's time they paid for it. Death Promise. Well, Myros, this is this is uh, a relevant movie. Uh, some would even call it an instructive text. You know, if you're having trouble with your landlord, um, I've got a shitty landlord. I think everybody at some point in their life has had a shitty landlord because, you know, fuck landlords. And right now we're in the middle of a uh, an eviction crisis. You know, there's people that can't pay their rent. We're at the tail end of a global pandemic. And uh, all these landlords want these motherfuckers out and on the street. So I'm sure you're saying to yourself, what can I do? Mr. Podcast Man, I look to you for advice in all facets of my life and not just, uh, you know, dumb commentary on genre films. And the answer is, well, you should probably organize like a like a tenant strike uh, with your your fellow renters. Um, but then the other thing that you could possibly do is, um, you know, learn karate and kick the shit out of your landlord, kick him right in the dick. And that's what this movie's about. You, you got to make sure the guy teaching you karate is not, in fact, a, a secret Yakuza landlord himself. Yeah. So let's not so, get ahead of ourselves here. And, and also, let's, let's just try a legal disclaimer for whatever we might discuss in this episode. That optimism yeah. vaccine does not officially endorse murdering your landlord. No. But if that happens. Yeah. You know, if you know, if you if you you mow him up, you mow him up. Yeah. yeah people die all the time. It hmm. happens. Yeah. Um. But I, I would encourage you, if given the opportunity, um, you know, and and you feel that it's right for you. I'm not saying you have to do it, but it's always cool to kick someone in the dick. And Death Promise is a movie about kicking a lot of people in the dick, primarily landlords, uh, class traders and their various co-conspirators. So uh, basically, this is the best movie ever made, as far as I can tell. Jack, you got any thoughts on this one? Yeah, yeah, um, I would agree. This is this is a pretty great movie. This is one of the ur-texts of American cinema. It's timeless until we get rid of landlords. It's remarkable. Landlord. 
<laughs> gonna hear that a lot in this episode and, and every gonna, time yeah. you know people will be excited to know that uh one the soundboard is back you're welcome uh two i definitely have trailers for each of these movies so trailers are back for how long we don't know uh but i i don't really have that many sound drops except for this one landlord what about homer and eddie uh, no, I haven't. I haven't loaded any of the uh, the Homer and Eddie in yet. So this oh, is Jesus this Christ. is, you know, we we did the training wheels a few weeks ago. I was able to, or no, last week I was able to play a drop on Fourth of July, uh, and, and now I've got a little bit more robust. So we're gonna get the full set in. But the cool thing is with this one is I can remix anything. So I can just do you know like landlord, which people really like when you do that when you just hit the button all the time. Uh, anyways, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> Death Promise is, it's a very, very, very low budget, uh, revenge kung fu film from the late 1970s, just oozing with New York sleaze and low budget goodness. And I love that the trailer tries to compare it to Death Wish <laughs> for what reason I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I guess they both have death in the title. And both uh, involve revenge to some degree, but neither those movies are could not be further apart from each other. Uh, one thing I really love about Death Promise is, you know, 1970s. There's some incredible, incredible low budget uh, kung fu films, and you know they just lean on the fight choreography because. You don't have the budget for you know, big special effects or fancy locations, but damn it, if these guys can fight and you can shoot it, man, that's all you need, okay? The, the Shaw brothers taught us that. This does not have good fight choreography no, at all. No. What are you and talking is, about? This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you but, say such things, lies. <laughs> it's but but then but then you kind of have to get back to a place that I feel like we were in last week when we were talking about uh Danger USA which is just because it doesn't fit into the conventional mold of what we consider good fight choreography it's still goddamn amazing and uh, I was watching an interview with the editor of Death Promise uh shout out to Vinegar Center for putting this out on Blu-ray by the way uh and in that, I mean, basically, the editor was also the director, uh, the guy that they had directed. He had never directed a film in his life. The editor had actually worked on major motion pictures. And also, uh, the, the writer was heavily involved. And this is going to sound crazy, but the editor noted that it was one of the most like heavily scripted, overwritten films he had ever <laughs> edited. But it was written with like no transitions. So this guy basically wrote a short story <laughs> and then they shot it as a film script. Uh, but anyways, the first like they they basically used every minute of footage that they had. There's barely anything left over and they had to go back through. And the only reshoots they did was they had to reshoot some of the fight choreography because there were no pickups. There were no like alternate angles. You couldn't you couldn't edit together a fight from what they had. So not only is the fight choreography here, like just amazingly stupid, but this is, this is like their, their take two. This is their mulligan version, which makes it all the more better for me. There's, there's an incredible, yeah. I mean, there's, there's just an incredible energy to this movie. And, I, and I'm going to say like, unironically, I, this is a great movie. I love oh, this film. It is great. It's, it's great. so great. It is just so absolutely 
direct. It comes out like, you know, for, like it, it introduces itself with a narrator who has no other role in the film to just outline that landlords suck shit. And then, Landlord. the, and then the rest <laughs> of the movie is just these guys. And the, the landlords, they are you, are you going to drop it again? No. Okay. Landlord. Okay, yeah, there there we go. I was going to wait until you started talking so I could interrupt you with it, but go ahead. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's fair. So anyway, uh, they're like this shell corporation and they're basically trying to get all the tenants out of this building because they want to sell it to make a load of money. Um, so they cut off the heat and they cut off the gas and they start like putting rats in there and dumping trash in there to make the place unlivable. But the tenants hold out. So they have to murder a guy because that's what you have to do. But uh, they happen to murder a guy whose son is a Kung Fu genius. Um, and that's a bad idea because he seeks vengeance. And the movie is just so like, honestly, just so it, it's refreshing how utterly upfront it is it's just like mm. landlords are awful they deserve to die here is us killing them and that's <laughs> it and it's like an hour and 30 minutes long and that's the whole thing and then at the end there's, there's like a kung fu battle with spoiler alert a, a yakuza guy shows up with this and they have to kill him uh, technically he's in the film earlier but it's, it's a big reveal that he's like which doesn't make a lot of sense i will that plot beat does not make an enormous amount of sense within the no. film but it doesn't matter because this is a movie about just fighting back against landlords and everyone can relate to that so wonderful film it's so simple and so pure and you're right like it's uh, part of the beauty is if this if this tried to be like uh, any more complicated than it is any less direct, it wouldn't work. Uh, but because, it, I mean, God, even the villains are just like, the way they talk is hilarious. They're just vocalizing all of their evil intentions. Yes. Just like, oh man, I just got back from twisty mustache class where I tied a woman to the train tracks. Can't wait to spend all my bad guy money. What will you do with your bad guy money? Like, these are conversations they yeah, have. Yeah, there's an amazing scene where one of, one of the bad guys is a Supreme Court judge, the New York Supreme Court, and they literally are just talking on the phone about murdering someone. And he just says, it's like, hey, don't talk about murdering someone when I'm, you know, a judge just in case. But yeah, we need to exterminate that guy. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Really great shit. And... Also, it seems like all the male leads here are played by, or at least are are good guys, are played by actual uh, martial arts people who who do martial arts first and foremost. And then acting is definitely a little bit lower <laughs> down uh, on the I, list. I thought you were going to say all of our male leads are played by men under the height of five foot four. That's also true. <laughs> How dear! Look, they're just little okay, karate babies. This short guy. Uh, prejudice, Adam, that you're bringing in here. As far as more Charles Bonnet or Bonnet, I don't know particularly who who is the lead character. He's like a former Marine who developed apparently his own close quarter combat system. Okay, like yeah. he's a, he's a real fighter. He's a real bad guy. You know, like you wouldn't want to mess with this guy. But um, his close quarter unique system of combat in this film is largely shouting like Bruce Lee. 
<laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it, I, I'm not sure. I'm maybe not picking up on the nuances of its art, but it is mostly making very loud, like "haya" noises, and oh, then oh, oh, that's how they sell it, man. <laughs> this that's how they got, sell it. Got a bit of that going on. The climax. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Those two, like, oh my God. muscular white guy henchmen who are just like. Oh. For like <laughs> fucking ten minutes straight. <laughs> There's another guy fight. too that's just like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and they just, all they all do martial arts, even though none of them look like martial artists. Like they're just a bunch of burly mustachioed dudes in like jean yeah. jackets, and then next thing you know, they're all like doing like like thrown on the ground and like flipping back up to stand and stuff and it's, like, it's just a really bizarre movie but oh my god well and the the two final henchmen like one of them's pretty big and burly and he takes his shirt off but there's another guy in like a blue uh suit and he just looks like if if hulk hogan had like stage four bone cancer and has been on chemotherapy <laughs> for six yeah, months very he's just like this withered husk yeah <laughs> It's classic. Sorry, Jack. Go ahead. No, this this movie, like I said, this movie's got everything you need. It's it's funny because um, like there's just this candidness to everything, like the fights, the choreography. It's maybe not great, but I will say the film is pretty clear. You know, like it's not confusing. The I think you know they got just enough to make it work. There's nothing fancy about the fights. Granted, there's no like you know major set piece to most of them. Like there's no like really cool kick or really advanced stunt. They clearly just have time to work out any of that. But like when they're fighting and punching and kicking and swirling and whatever, like it's all legible and coherent on screen. And on, you know it's kind of like there's a very I don't we say like uh, kind of like you know salt of the earth quality to this movie like say it just absolutely comes out of the doors exactly tells you what it's going to do it does it everyone says what they mean everyone to the point of almost like absurdity everyone just tells you there's no need for inner monologues they need a narrator at the very start just to like lay things out after that everyone just says exactly you know it's like I am sad this man was my father we must avenge him and then it was like i'm a bad guy we must you know keep being bad so we can be rich and so on and then they just show up in a room and they just kick and punch until one person is dead and then they keep moving on they literally have like the guy has a checklist of bad guys just so we can keep tab you know it's like okay two down mm-hmm. three to go excellent it's it's just this tremendously <laughs> oddly incomplete object. checklist by the way he didn't have the last guy's <laughs> name on the checklist and also, for some reason, he did. It's it's, it's above the other guy's names, so I think. I know he was at the bottom, guy. at the second to last guy. And also, he had this great habit of uh, not just striking through the name after they've been killed, but then underlining the next name. So it yeah. becomes like, what the fuck? Look, he knows not the visual language you, for this. You remember when you <laughs> kill a man, Adam, and you know he mm. knows what he's doing. Okay, this guy's. Just Maybe too many lines. Before. Stop making those lines on your notebook, <sighs> man. It's it's just confusing the audience. <laughs> it's an artistic flourish. It's okay. It doesn't matter because all of them have names. But honestly, I like I can't really remember. There's like the mob guy who's just like not Italian, which is an incredible casting decision. But he's doing this really bad <laughs> Italian accent. And then there's uh, there's the one black bad guy who's kind of like. A weaponized as like a pimp kind of I think he's supposed to be like you know the internal threat like the class traitor guy and then you've got the snooty New York Supreme Court judge who's willing to hang out with the other two which seems pretty unlikely 
and you have the guy mm-hmm. in a suit who's kind of organizing them all who is a walking stick and you think he's the main bad guy but there's one guy ahead of him and then there's like an oh there's the, the other guy who dies in the car park yeah i don't even know what that guy's deal was he doesn't really have a thing he's just he gets killed in a car park um, in a very unlikely he's a fashion womanizer that seems to be his only trait Close yeah, but then there's the pimp too. So you'd think like, how could you? You got two womanizers, and neither of those things inherently make you wealthy. I mean, the, the Jackson <laughs> is is more of a, a pusher than a pimp. I think he's a, mm-hmm. he's rich off yeah. the backs oh, of heroin that's, addicts. In the in that's true. He's roping city. the women in with heroin. That's yeah. true. The one woman. I think it's the same woman in both scenes with him. Like they could only afford one. One thing that struck me watching this movie is there are almost no women in this film. Um, no it's quite it's honestly kind of remarkable like even the extras like there's they have like one woman who appears for like a scene where she gets topless and i think she appears in another scene to just scream her head off and i think she might be the only woman in the entire film it's it's that past the Bechdel it's like test? lawrence of arabia <laughs> but for killing landlords <laughs> yeah same same uh, aspect ratio too um yeah i <laughs> I don't understand why I like this so much. I mean, I do. Yeah, me neither. It, it I really don't understand why you like this so much either, Steve. I gotta say, <laughs> Adam, what you? Adam loves landlords. Yeah, Adam. Adam is a class trader. Um, <laughs> I love this movie, even though it does. If, if I were to make a checklist of things that I generally hate in movies, it's just like, oh, we have a narrator for only part of the film. And for no reason at all, because like the narrator talks and the characters vocalize what he just said. Everyone says all their feelings. Uh, no one can act. No one can fight. Um, it, it, none of the effects are good. Uh, most of this is shot with just like shoddy ass, shaky handheld, uh, scratched up 35 millimeter. And yet it's the best movie ever made. I'm I, like, unironically, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> it's great. I mean, you see, you say it's like, it's not shot well. I think it's shot like... It's shot very assuredly. There's there's literally nothing in this film that you would consider fancy or elevated. Mm-hmm. Nothing. It is no. absolutely like cameras here. The actors are over there. Shoot them doing the thing. We're done. Moving on. Yeah. But yeah, you, you know, could I, if you were being positive about. I guess, I guess you could graciously call it workmanlike. <laughs> but really, <laughs> it's just like we got some shit to get through. <laughs> absolutely, this is blue collar cinema. <laughs> that's right this is real this is this isn't landlord cinema Myra. this is fucking tenant cinema see i i think my issue with it is exactly that like it, it is competent enough that it doesn't feel remarkable in any way i'm like how did this movie escape the 70s why is it getting restored it, it just it's seems pretty so remarkable because it opens up saying we hate landlords and want them to die and then the rest of the movie is about killing landlords there aren't many films like that yeah. Also, there's a scene where a guy takes a bag full of rats and ties it around someone else's face and the rats eat his face. I'm, I'm down with the stuff with the rats for sure. But I don't know. It just felt like a, a like a kind of generic kung fu movie and a kind of generic black exploitation movie smushed together. And I was like, well, this is kind of generic. It's a weird black exploitation, but the lead actor is like Puerto Rican, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I see, that's the other thing I couldn't figure out. Like this... Again, I, I it's not like I, I care about the height of Charles Bonet so much, but I just assumed he was kind of like the vehicle here, like the writer director star. And it was like, 
give it off this big like small man energy and i'm like okay <laughs> this guy's making like a vanity project about him his tiny ass walking around kicking everyone's ass and this dude was in a bruce lee knockoff film yeah like mm-hmm. he's, he's been and he's been in some real like he, had, he was real busy in the late 70s and he was not busy after the late 70s not on imdb at least but you know i mean it, it works he's got some really good shirts in this movie i think we can all agree on that a lot of high-waisted yeah. action going on in this movie. Oh, man, the pants are right. Wow. They're like the, they, they remind me of like the, the Chuck Norris kicking jeans they marketed in the 90s. Anyone remember those? That was a thing. No. Chuck Norris. No. Yeah, yeah. You like can buy Chuck special, Norris pants? Yeah, they were, they were so like special jeans authorized by Chuck Norris that you could like do high roundhouse kicks in. So obviously, you know, extra extra space to, to store your, your meaty karate balls in. What is the overlap between people who can do a roundhouse kick and people who are buying Chuck Norris pants off of an infomercial? I mean, I don't know. It was it was it's, a it's the time. same people that also have recently pulled their hamstring. <laughs> I don't know. I okay. So my favorite outfit though is the one that uh, Charles Bonnet wears in the in the final fight scene, where the, the all white one. Oh because yeah. Because one, they're they're fighting on top of a roof. So it gets completely filthy immediately. <laughs> um, and then like shot to shot, it changes its filth level. There's no continuity at all. And the best part is the front of it is like studded, but not with like normal studded, oh, like you see like a studded stud. belt or something. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, it's this like square, like dick stud thing. It looks like, um, like if you go to like a furniture store or something, like you, you know, like the, you get the the metal like furniture tax, upholstery tax, the little steel studs on a couch. That's what they fucking look like. Just he's got couch pants, and I love him. Yeah, no, he's got so many. There's so many great looks. Then the movie has a couple other great things. I really like as kind of like an oh, it it feels like an homage to to like Hong Kong or I guess just generally like Taiwanese, Hong Kong, Chinese action cinema of the era, they have like a badly aged up Kung Fu master who the guy goes to train with, which admittedly is kind of a plot error because it turns out the main villain of the film, who we don't know is a villain at the time, sends him to learn better martial arts to kill everyone with. See, Jack, it's not a plot error because the guy wanted him to be a killing machine to take out his competitor, or like his, his partners, yeah. Yeah, it, it is yeah. true that he overestimated, because even as he kills him, as, as our hero kills him, he says, you forgot his main teaching, which is vanity or whatever, which I don't think is actually mentioned prior <laughs> to that in the film. <laughs> well, nothing is mentioned in the trading sequence at all. <laughs> There's there's a soft flute music through it though. It's it's really it's a really stirring set of events. Um but yeah, it's it's just confusing. There's several confusing things about the end fight. For example, he he fights the guy with his bare hands, he fights the, the Yakuza, and then the Yakuza pulls a sword, and then the other guy pulls knives and they fight for a bit like that, and then he disarms our our enemy disarms the guy with his his knives and then he throws away his sword and says he wants to fight hand to hand which is what they were doing at the start and he was losing so it's uh there's there's certain things in this film that don't fully jibe with me but there's just i like honestly i just i hope it's coming through this just this i love this movie it is so much fun yeah and and i also training stuff kicks ass Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I just want to mention my favorite scene in the whole movie, which is the uh, killing of the judge, which uses another great uh, kind of Chinese uh, trope, which is the poison drop down a string, 
which is definitely something I learned about when I was a kid watching like an Asian movie and thought it's like the coolest shit ever, right? But but the the setup in this movie is amazing because the the whole point is they have to do that because there's two cops guarding the judge outside and the two cops are literally standing two feet away from him like he's sleeping for some reason in a shack for some like doesn't make a lot of sense and these two guards are outside and they've clearly been given no script whatsoever they just have to improvise things a guard might say to justify them staying there (laughs) even though there's clearly something happening elsewhere so these two guys are just making shit up and at a certain point they just ADR the whole thing because I guess funnily enough after them making up a bunch of terrible dialogue about how it's like oh maybe we should go over there it's like nah we just stick out here this is a great gig this is fantastic and then the actual shot they use for like a major part of the whole scene they're not saying anything but they decided to still overlay uh dialogue over it so the guys are just talking and neither of their mouths are moving um and and meanwhile the the guy they're guarding is like sleeping in a tiny shed a foot away from them like with a thin wind like a thin wall between them and they're just talking their asses off like this guy's supposed to sleep incredible scene i will why never the forget judge this be, scene why could the judge be sleeping in such a fucking structure anyway. it's like a, is it on a golf course i don't know what any of this is they, they've had this whole big yeah. deal about how he's like i don't want to do those dogs around i got my own security force so obviously they could only afford two security uniforms so it's the same exact thugs <laughs> and two guys <laughs> security <laughs> uniforms. also these dudes were like literally he is a judge of the new york supreme court like they're gonna get in so much trouble but it's apparently fine it's it's all good well i mean you know he is the landlord so that's true what are you gonna do this is landlord. what i said <laughs> this is what i started to get to the point where i'm like Okay, it's dumb enough that I could see why people like it to an extent is when the revenge starts happening because most of these setups are just like the dumbest fucking thing. <laughs> like the whole, uh, okay, we're going to get this mob guy and they fucking, it, it involves archery for no reason <laughs> whatsoever. The mob loves archery. This is not yeah, explored enough it. in their cinema. Haven't you ever watched The Sopranos? It's basically a show about archery at the end of the day. It's really good, that hit, because, yeah, it involves a secondary guy getting a bow and arrow and deciding to just try and do archery himself. Because if he did, and and they just depend on him to do that entirely of his own volition. And if he hadn't, the the, the main mob guy wouldn't have died. And also, if he Mm -hmm. had missed, if he were bad at archery, because they hide and they stack the body behind the target, so... When the bow arrows go through the target, they kill the mob guy, and the guy who's shooting the arrows doesn't even know he's there. And it's like very poetic, I guess. But you know, it, they do leave a lot that, like, he could have survived that in a lot of scenarios. But uh, it's it's pretty good. It worked out because he was he was a landlord, and I, I yeah. love <laughs> I love the 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 final setup too with the elaborate trap house. Which obviously we're going to get into trap houses in a minute here, but this one is. is particularly exceptional they set up they set up this amazing amazing trap where where one man stands in a staircase with a shotgun and one man stands outside an elevator with a shotgun <laughs> and there's like three minutes like at least three minutes of the movie devoted to explaining that basically it's like what are the protections like literally there's a man with a gun here and if anyone shows up he doesn't like he'll shoot them and they go through it's like oh that's pretty secure yep that'll work and also, they yeah. they absolutely could not figure out a way for the protagonist to foil this trap, so they just didn't bother showing it on camera at all. 
Well, well, he was he was attacked by the by the guy we don't realize was actually the was actually the villain all along the the Shibata the the martial arts. Oh, teacher. is that the case? Yeah, okay. yeah. No, he he kills them all, and they don't know. So they're like, who who killed the man with the shotgun in the stairwell? Who definitely you know we could never have gotten past him, even though we've killed like sixteen other people up until this point. You know, and that's because it's Shibata. I just assumed it was meant to be Charles Bonet because it's not really conveyed at all. But yeah, no, no, no. Charles is confused that he learns Shibata because Shibata wanted to kill all of the... He wanted him to kill all the other people for some reason. I don't know. So the Yakuza can... It seems like the Yakuza could have killed all of them too. He gets more money. Maybe this is a Yakuza independent transaction, you know. He just doesn't want to split the money from the sale of the building or blah, blah, blah. But, uh... I, I will say they kind of got me with that reveal, well, because A, it's nonsense, but B, <laughs> it's framed as such that you think it's going to be like a woman. You're like, oh, who's this there mysterious no woman petting the cat? Uh, a landlady. Yeah. Landlord. But I'm like, but I'm like, how could this be revealed? There's no women in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's really confusing about it as well is that uh, they have the, the final battle and the reveal that Shibat, the person, the bad guy with his back to the camera, the Blofeld of the film petting a cat is actually Shibata, the, the Japanese uh, kung fu instructor from earlier, karate instructor from earlier in the film. And they, inter- they, they connect the two uh, in the finale by having as they enter the roof a cat meowing but at no point do you then see a cat on the roof like the, he doesn't just have his cat running around on the roof but you have the cat meowing so you're like oh yeah the person petting the cat earlier it's really good and then I really love when they finally kill him because it's like the best special effect in the movie they throw they just literally just chuck a mannequin off a building and his hand comes <laughs> off long before the body hits the ground which really shows that Charles Bonnet really fucked him up before they threw him. Um, it's a really <laughs> remarkable scene. Off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really something special. And I mean, so when they start knocking off the landlord, landlord, that's obviously amazing, as we've discussed. But also, don't sleep on the training montage, uh, which is pretty standard stuff. Like, he even catches a fly with his chopsticks and all that shit. Um, but what is really special is that whole training sequence is is how by going to the grand master that's how he's able to obtain the list because he's finally ready to kill um and it's it's really played up as a special thing and only he can do it and he has to be ready because if he's not then he'll never be able to accomplish what he needs to accomplish and his best friend uh stays behind he doesn't he doesn't go he doesn't go visit the grand master uh, and he just follows the landlords around. <laughs> yeah, he he just he just follows them around. He's like, okay, well, I know exactly who these people are and what they're doing. So basically, this guy went and trained and wasted his time because his buddy is just as good at, at fighting as he is, and he didn't have to go visit a grandmaster and sleep in a shed for six months. He just he just did like normal shit. It it is true. It feels like I mean New York in the nineteen seventies. Like he probably could have just got a gun and that. Probably would have yeah. covered a lot of this, but that's not that's not how it rolls. No. Yeah, I like how it tries to follow that sort of like trope of the the old wise master, but instead of being like, 
what is viewed in the West is like this exoticized, like Japanese countryside. It's just like a shitty fucking farm in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just goes upstate. I, I think that's he went. Yeah, he went to Syracuse and just <laughs> shot a fucking barn with a guy who's not even like an old master. He's like a fucking twenty eight year old. And they dyed his hair silver with some spray paint. Yeah, like they really great. just did streaks. Like he's gray highlights. That's about as yeah. much as they've got. You know, I, what it's I really kind like of fashionable. The, what, what I like about the training montage is like the camera is real tight on all of those because I think they had like four foot of set. On the, like location, I think if the camera pulled out just a, a half foot, uh, like so much would be revealed that would not, but that would break the illusion, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really powerful stuff. Honestly, it is it is amusing that uh, Bonet made his uh, his stripes as like a, a fake Bruce Lee, and yet this movie found it necessary to arbitrarily insert a fake Bruce Lee into the final fight as well. <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you got to do. The here. old master's other student just randomly shows up to New York and joins their fight. Uh, yeah, and he's called Sop. He's just like, hey, Sop. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. Yeah. That's really good. Well, you got to shoehorn him in because, you know, the, the uh, bad guy master's got two sons. So you need you need a fair fight here. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. But wouldn't you just sense. be like, oh, uh, thanks for responding to my call, Sop. <laughs> Instead of him being like, <laughs> Uh, I just happen to be in the city. Nice to see you. Let's go fight. I love that scene, too, because he's like, hey, I just happen to be in the city. How's it going? It's like, we're going to kill some people. And it's like, cool, cool. I'll come with you. It's like, no, no, we're going to go kill some people. It's like, no, that's, no you know I'm going to come with you guys. It's like, all right, look, come with us. We'll kill some people. It's like, that's, we're not afraid of ADR. Why don't we ADR a line that makes sense? <laughs> it's good stuff. It's a masterpiece. Also, do not sleep on this song because uh, I think Jack and I both had this stuck in our head. Like I, I can't go five seconds without thinking of that's a promise or I don't know if it's death's a promise or that's a promise, but it, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I th- Cause I'm pretty sure in the spirit of the film and things not quite connecting, I'm almost certain it's subtitled as that's a promise. They don't promise, promise. death in the okay. song at all. It's a very upbeat song no. for promising death. Yeah. I don't think it fits. No, no, there's, there's just general promises made, but it, it, fucking kicks ass like listen to this bet you won't put your trust in me bet you won't let me go further than you can see hope this isn't copyrighted bet you think i planned something and won't say if you think i'm thinking there it is slicker away that's a promise that's a promise yeah you're right okay we got it uh there we go so uh don't don't hit us with a takedown notice um I really miss movies just having like a theme song with lyrics in them. Like the 70s was a golden era, like pornos had this. And I feel like we don't mm-hmm. have it anymore. Like song, like no. all these billion dollar fucking Marvel movies and they don't have like just some shitty song that's got lyrics yeah. in it for some reason. They like don't really connect with the movie, but like someone had to sit down and write it. Uh, it's terrible. It's a loss. And I think it, it honestly, it, it elevates the film to a degree because like, this song, I mean, it kicks ass, but sure. I, I think it probably costs as much to make as the rest of the movie. So <laughs> <Every neighborhood>. oh, <laughs> I hit I hit the wrong button again. Sorry. <laughs> Myros, fix it in post. Uh, no. All right. Well, um, you know, we, we talked about what you can do as as a tenant if you have, uh, you know, a landlord that's putting rats in your house and turning off your power. Um, you can kick them in the nuts uh, or, you know, you may have a more unique situation 
with your landlord, uh, and you might have something like uh, the people under the stairs. Every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about, and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. So this is fun because the trailer basically sets it up as it's just a spooky haunted house movie with people living in the walls. Uh, when really that's not what it's about. So unlike Death Promise, which immediately comes out and beats you over the head and says, landlords are bad, tenants are good, go kick your landlord in the dick. Uh, people Under the Stairs tries to be <laughs> a little bit more complex with their politics. Uh, but at the same time, this is one of the goofiest, weirdest things Wes Craven has ever done, uh, which in and of itself is an accomplishment because I don't think the 1990s were known for, I don't know, maybe this level of, of Wes Craven weirdness. Um, but yeah, People Under the Stairs is a lot better than I remember it being. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed it more. This is an 80s Wes Craven mm -hmm. movie. You know, 1991 doesn't count as 90s. It, it very much feels like 80s Craven. Oh, completely, completely, yeah. He's He's got a budget, which is good, um, but it, it has the same feeling as, as his 80s work. Um, it's just, it's wild to me, though, because I, I think the thing that really stuck with me is you've got Big Ed and uh, Nadine from Twin Peaks in 1991 also starring in the people under the stairs and i mean god big ed's running around in a gimp suit with a shotgun the whole time how can you not love that and to see that in the theater like imagine you're watching twin peaks every week and then you go to the theater to see this new horror film and you see that it's really something special because this is like this is almost like wes craven shooting for his version of of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but by way of like the California suburbs instead. Yeah, yeah, I could see. I mean, Craven and Hooper do share that uh, sort of direction where they, I don't think either has ever told a, an actor to tone it down. Because uh, this, <laughs> this is, this is, uh, yeah, Big Ed is is really going ham here. It is uh, a saving grace of the movie, I feel like. Like, I, this is a strange a strange thing i have warmed up to it i've seen it several times it was always one of those movies when you're a kid like i i, I had no idea what this movie is. it's not what i assumed it to be i assumed it to be like in my mind it was like some fucking goosebump style thing of like people move into a house and there's people under the stairs but yeah obviously that's <laughs> just it, it's a very sociopolitical text and it's it's one of Craven's more ambitious films, I would say, but it's also got this whole fairy tale thing going on. So it is, it's kind of disjointed at times, uh, but because it, again, it feels like a movie that is geared toward younger audiences. Like this, this, this yeah. ideally feels like something you would go see when you're like 11 or 12 and, and have a laugh riot, but it's, it's filled with fucking guts spewing everywhere. <laughs> it's definitely yeah, not it's a, a little bit of movie. a, no, but it, but it's set up it's set up as essentially reverse home alone, right? Yeah. Like that's that's it. I mean, that's the core of it and it's and the the main stars are children uh, aside from, you know, Big Ed and Nadine. Um so it, it it does. It's got like the weird kind of uh just freewheeling chaotic energy of Texas Chainsaw 
and it's got the setup of like a home alone style kids fight back movie and at the same time it's got this this socio-political undercurrent that is I mean, it's it's pretty overt when you actually watch the movie and it's really well developed and really well thought through. But at the same time, it's almost a little too slick. This is a very well made movie. And I, I kind of found myself saying, I, I, I really kind of wish that Toby Hooper would do this. Like, I need that weird, like eaten alive. Everything is is terrifying and horrible and fucked up and kind of funny vibe going on, which they don't give me. Uh, Wes Craven's too professional. <laughs> that is a fascinating idea. Actually, yeah, Toby Hooper, I think, could have really done something with this. Because, yeah, it, it's uh, kind of, it, it plays everything real just like crazy. And it's kind of fun because the, the, our lead villains are this, I guess, pastiche of insane evangelical, uh, yeah, I don't know, landlords, fundamentally slumlords, and they just, they basically live in their house and they don't interact with the neighborhood. Landlords. Exactly. And A little they, late. Yeah, well, it's good, it's good. <laughs> and they just, they hoard all the money and they don't go outside and they're raising their child that they stole as like a perfect angel and if any sin occurs in their house they punish it violently and they have so that all the people under the stairs are basically their cast off children um and they steal all the kids because they're actually brother and sister it's revealed later on so it's like an incestuous thing as well they refer to each other as mommy and daddy throughout the movie there's just so many layers of weirdness in this thing um it it's a film that i find i like more and more each time i watch it although i don't think i'm ever going to really love it it's it's just too wild in its tone it's 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 mm -hmm. really difficult to figure out what it's really aiming for it's not it's never quite hor horrific or terrifying or scary it's never quite funny except there's a few points that are like very weird broad comedy like for example the first time Everett McGill shows up in like full gimp bondage suit it's like oh, yeah. there's there's literally zero reason for that to happen in the film but it's there for extended periods of time but yeah the, the film and then the socio-political element is sort of it's there and it's interesting but it's also for me i can't help but like when i watch this i also think that eight years down the line wes craven is going to fight to direct the film music of the heart which is <laughs> super fucking racist movie um yeah basically about how they like culture black kids by bringing real music to them, classical music. Well, even this, I don't feel like it's like legitimately like no progressive. What it is is Wes Craven is a rich white liberal. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, but this is you know, it, it, it's it's at least this is like coming at the right side. But it's it's you know, or like the general right side is like, hey, you know, slumlords are bad, and like you know, you kind of work with it from there, and like you know black people in this in this film happen to be the victims of the slumlords and it's very very bad etc there's not like the commentary doesn't hold up particularly well but it, it however well it does hold up it's kind of got to be tempered against where i know craven would go because he is absolutely like a white liberal uh kind of you know his social consciousness ends at his his self-awareness they they kind of mm -hmm. they don't they don't really extend into the the territory they like to hop around in. So it's it can be a little bit weird. Like like honestly, he is Craven has always fared better with like the hills of eyes, just dealing with just genuine fucked up freaks 
uh, that that's you know apolitical to a sense it really works better here it's kind of a bit all over the place a little bit wild um yeah but, it, but he it does, is, I, I don't fun. think he takes he does, yeah he it's fun and i agree that like I think the the backstory that he creates and the characters that he develops are, you know, the protagonists at least, uh, or if you could call them that, I guess, you know, we have a child and, <laughs> and two criminals, uh, but they're, they're well-developed and they're interesting and they have different layers to them. But ultimately this is just, it's not addressing say like gentrification head on. It's almost like it's just a jab at at weird, like puritanical nimbyism, you know, like yeah. people who have I've lived in my family's lived in this neighborhood for generations. And now there's there's colored folks here. What are we going to do? Like people like that. It feels like a major touch point for this. Honestly, it's Roald Dahl. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, like this is literally like if the twits were landlords, that's this movie. Yeah. Yeah. See, I this is. I think that Craven struggles with quite a bit. I feel like is that goofiness and horror. Like he's not, he doesn't make horror comedies, really. But a lot of his movies have kind of a, an oddly out of place and inappropriate, like slapstick element to them. Like for me, I I think that uh, Last House on the Left is especially egregious with that. It's a movie. Oh, I, oh Jesus, yeah. That movie is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like there's a line between intent. Obviously, it's it's meant to be a shocking film uh, from a young director looking to make a name for himself. But it's also it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the way that he balances <laughs> toe to that movie is that he just doesn't. And this has that at times. I think most of the time it, it kind of works. Like, I feel like the humor is pitch pretty well but there's stuff in it that just doesn't fucking work at all like the roach stuff like it, it's just like fucking beyond thunderdome like kids running around and stuff where you're just yeah, like yeah there, oh. there's a few points where it honestly feels like you're wondering if they weren't considering a toy line or like right. roach and there's there's a couple of other like of the the people under the stairs who have like there's one who looks a little freddy kruegerish and he looks like he's like this leather helmet on and like it almost like i literally I was watching it going like are they thinking of selling the action figures <laughs> like it's just there's just yeah. enough of that to us this this all ties back to the idea that it, it kind of it's clearly not a kids movie, but it it it's built like a kids movie. And not only is the is the Home Alone reverse Home Alone set up part of that, but like you said, there's there's all these over the top comical characters. You can see the action figures, or you can see like you could turn this into a kids cartoon about this like this wacky couple and all the weirdos that live in the basement. And then this little kid down the street breaks in every night and has wacky adventure adventures with uh, the, the little girl that lives there. You know, it's, it's kind of like when they made a Beetlejuice cartoon in the eighties or something like that. Obviously this Robo is a hard R horror movie, <laughs> RoboCop cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Like nothing was, was uh, out of bounds at that point. Like they were, they were taking anything that you could turn into a toy line and a, and a accompanying cartoon, people were doing it—a video game, whatever. Or frankly, even Nightmare on Elm Street. My God, the Halloween yeah. costumes of five-year-olds dressed like Kruger—it it was wild. Yeah, and I think like getting into the early '90s, they're slowly starting to back away from that. But if this exact movie came out, say, at three, four, or five years earlier. 100% guarantee there would have been action figures. <laughs> and if it, if it was a smash success, like imagine this is his direct follow-up to Nightmare on Elm Street and it's just as big as Elm Street. 
hundred percent there's a kid's cartoon for this ah like, yeah but that reality no is impossible because there's no way this it's movie would ever be as nearly no. so successful i i want to i want to find this cartoon that every week i don't know like follows uh slum lords and i don't like who would be the main tech characters i kind of want to find out how this would work i mean it's it pretty much writes itself right like, there's just different adventures like oh no roach lost his doll and Big Ed's real mad. <laughs> so, so every episode will be in the house, you're saying? So I'm yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, they, <laughs> it's like the odd couple, but it's like two two entire like factions pitched against each other. Exactly. And mm. the way it works is because part of the fun with this movie is this, the just completely absurd set design um, where, you know, it's the people under the stairs, but the walls are like these hollow giant hallways. I, I, I you know, I don't, I don't think this it's house a, is yeah, it's from code. the diehard <laughs> school of like, of, of ventilation where like you can mm. pretty much just live in the air ducts. You can do whatever yeah, you like there. Exactly. So, I, I mean, basically that's, that's it is like, you have this, this whole setup where, you know, behind the scenes, that's where all the fun is with the fun people under the stairs. And then, yeah, you got your, your cartoon character parents. Uh, by the way, if if Netflix wants to make a People Under the Stairs cartoon, we're available. We'll we'll do this pitch in person. Yeah, Don't worry. yeah. So this like this house is is quite hilarious because it looks like complete fucking shit for like what's supposed to be like a rich person's house. Like it looks like a goddamn dump, and it's filled with all these. It looks like the house from the Greasy Strangler. Yeah, and, it, and it's filled with all these elaborate <laughs> traps, and yet it's like every time the police come to investigate or something, they act like they're in some high society mansion or something. Oh, thank you very much, man. <laughs> it's like, what are we? I don't know. Do? Yeah, I don't know how they pass off like having like they, like literally when they break in at first. One of the things that Ving Rhames' character Mark remarks on is like there's a lock on every single cupboard and closet, and there's this massive security door. Like it just it would seem impossible to pass this off as a normal uh, domicile, but apparently the, the the police work for them. You see in the class structure mm. and it's just kind of explained in a way as that it's it's a bit weird well, it, it does. Sure, why not i mean it adds to the humor i feel like those are some of the funniest scenes in the film um it, again does it add does it hold up to scrutiny no i don't really know why the people under the stairs wouldn't be uh making a ruckus when the police are in the house but uh <laughs> oh because big ed gasses him doesn't he? he's like oh, yeah, we tranquilized right. all. Okay. yeah well that makes perfect sense because of course this house does he has gas, gas. Them or does he just he or does he just give them drugged food i wasn't yeah because i there's definitely something a line like that. about that some yeah there's, yeah there's just a throwaway line about how he like tranquilizes them or something like that so that's how he gets away okay with that it. checks out but i do like that's my favorite big ed scene in the film is uh when the cops are in and the cops are like Boy, I love this furniture. And Big Ed is wearing this stupid fishing hat to, like, cover the gash on his head. And he just goes, uh, yeah, this house used to be used for, uh, business. <laughs> There's some really good parts of that. Like, I really like the scene as well adjacent to that where they go to... Where, where they, the police have this idea there's a child there and they're hiding the child so they don't want her there. So they they stumble upon her bedroom and they're like, I thought you said you didn't have any kids. And they pass it off as like, oh, our child died many years ago and, you know, we've just kept the room the same. And it kind of taps into this uh, 
kind of luxurious whiteness, this idea that you would have home where you can just have a room that you don't use anymore, that you can just keep as a, a, a shrine to a lost child. Meanwhile, you know, our protagonists living in the slum are all living in like they've one room or whatever, two rooms, I think, in the, in the whole thing. You know, th- there's clever moments in there that are, you know, they work as comedy, but that also kind of further it. Um, there, there's some good parts, um, certainly within, within the writing there. It's just... The whole thing just oscillates in tone so much. It's between slapstick and horror and tension. The tension doesn't really build for me at any point. Um, it does feel like it, it. It reminds me a little bit, and I guess it's coming off the Home Alone thing too. Was it was it Night Trap? Was that the name that that like video game? Oh, yeah. There was like a, a motion, oh, yeah. the video full motion video video game that like shitty period in the nineties where they were like the future of video gaming is watching shitty movies that you click on every so often and has that kind of sense of like you know you're trying to like just time it and click and then booby traps are are released. Um, it has that kind of feeling to it. It's just a bunch of stuff happening. It feels like a game of mouse trap sometimes, just sort of. Things on, you know, they, they kind of like, you know, a stairs becomes a slide or a mm-hmm. window can't be kicked open or whatever. It's it's just sort of, it's it's not exactly terrible, but like, I guess it's a kid's movie. Like we've, we've mentioned, like it really does feel like a kid's movie where also Ving Rhames' entire chest cavity is exposed at some point. It's yeah. insane. I suppose I got a theory on that front. Well, first and foremost, Jack, you will be happy to know that... Uh, uh, it is even now the era of stupid uh, FMV video games, and you can go buy Night Trap on your Nintendo Switch today for no fucking reason. <laughs> wow, I might do that for yeah. no particular reason either. Uh, yeah, but I, I think it's just a very, like, I wonder how this was pitched. Like, Craven is obviously Mr. fucking Booby Trap. Like, he was doing that shit from the start. All of his films almost have some finale involving elaborate setup and booby traps and blah, blah, blah. And you almost wonder if he doesn't feel like uh, like Home Alone was like something he missed out on. And I, I almost feel like this movie could very well have been pitched as a kid's movie. And eventually a sub studio was like, you're Wes Craven. Fucking make it a horror yeah, movie. A horror like, movie. Let's <laughs> fucking gore it up here. Yeah. Well, and, and that's that's it too. Like, I, I don't know. And I feel like even though it it has its campy moments and it has its gory moments, this is where I wish it would have been a a Toby Hooper movie instead, because I want this movie to lean into the camp more. I want it to, to lean into the grotesque more. And there's the guy to do it. There is one touch here, which I think is very Hooper esque, but in the basement, they repeatedly show this skeleton that's like shackled to the ceiling and it is the fucking shittiest uh, spirit Halloween like plastic (laughs) skeleton I have ever seen in my entire life. And they make a point of showing it a dozen times. It's just constantly, <laughs> oh, there it is again. Woo, spooky skeleton. <laughs> that definitely seems like an intern was like sent on an errand and found the first yeah. thing they could find. And they were like, we'll just, let's do it. Let's go I with it. I think you got to be careful what you wish for with fucking Toby Hooper. Because right around here, he was making such classics as spontaneous combustion and night oh, terror. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but this is not a, this is not a good time for the hoop man. With let me this tell you. budget, though, I mean, like it, he would make something that probably would be illegal in some place. Like, so he would get banned somewhere because he'd just do something weird. 
uh, that yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it's I can't help but wonder what that would be. Probably would have thrown in a sex scene between the brother and sister just for no reason, just fucked up mm-hmm. Twin Peaks too, just for the fun of it. Yeah, that I mean, he definitely would have done that. That's a guarantee. You would have had that one for sure. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but I mean, both both these movies are. I mean, they're fucking fun, man. Uh, are they instructive texts on how to deal uh, with an abusive landlord? I don't know. That's for you to decide. But uh, give them a watch. Why don't you? This is good shit. This is fun. Okay? We're, we're keeping the streak alive of mostly watching good things. Uh, so, th- no, I mean, other than Father's Day, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, we do got to wrap things up, though, boys. So, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Okay, so so I was I was debating about this. Like, should I put over the best movie I watched recently, or should I put over the movie that features someone pulling rack focus on a pair of boobs? And I think we clearly mm. know I'm going to go with the second one. So I'm going to yeah, put absolutely. over I'm going to put over erotic ghost story, uh, which is uh, <laughs> okay. To hear me out, this is actually it's a genuinely pretty great movie. It's it surprised me, but it's a 1990 category three Hong Kong film directed by the same guy who brought if you're a cult film fan who brought us the story of Ricky with the infamous oh. film. Um, this is a much classier affair. It's a much more restrained film. Um, basically, kind of the classic Chinese folk tale about uh, animal spirits who have tried to cultivate to become human through various endeavors and they are tested in their faith by by a young uh student uh three women uh, and they they're testing their faith and there's a lot of sex in this but there's a lot of like really interesting filmmaking and like like literally they do rack focus like on a woman's breast to like bring so one ra- rack focus on a rack is what you're trying to go for here right 100 percent, 100 percent. and i can say i've yeah. seen many many movies in my time i have never ever seen anyone do this before it's no. it's a pretty great movie so erotic ghost story check it out it's it's actually a good movie but it's also a movie where they do stuff like that so you can't lose can't lose that sounds like a winner to me Myros, what are you putting over this week? Oh, uh, you know, Steve, I I'm on a, a bit of a vacation here. You know, I I don't have a few. Uh, I got a little bit of time off before I start uh, my my next educational journey, and uh, how I'm trying to spend this time is by only watching what is required of me for the podcast, and in, in my spare time, perhaps playing some uh, Mass Effect Legendary Collection, and. Uh, thereby i've watched a grand total of two movies since the last podcast and those two movies we just discussed uh so Mm -hmm. i guess that that leaves for me to recommend mass effect 2 sure that's great the year is 2009 sure it's fun Uh, are are you are you are you playing as fem shep or dude shep no i made my shep uh a bald man an old bald man uh a real miguel ferrer look Uh, you know that's what i was going for (laughs) And are you playing? Are you playing as a uh, a dickhead or a, a, a good guy? I I just can't. I don't get any joy of playing as a dickhead. It, it, it's, what's the point? Like that, that's not the sort of thing I would ever say. It just kind of takes me out of it to be like, "Fuck you, dude." Good news. By the time you get to Mass Effect Three, it won't matter if you played like a dickhead or a good guy. That's I don't fun. think it matters that much anyway. You know, Mass Effect no, One really had doesn't. a grand total of like. Uh, three room layouts over the course of 20 planets. So, you know, I, I, yeah. there's limitations to what these games can do. Sure, sure. 
Yeah. Well, uh, you know, j- just like everything in, in life, you're, you're presented with choices, but really everything's predetermined and it's just going to go one way, Myro. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I think this week, what I'm putting over, I'm, I'm going uh, the old standby, Golden Ninja Video, man. Uh, they put out a Jackie Sploitation set, uh, which I would highly recommend you pick up if it's still available. If it hasn't sold out yet, they had some production delays. It just got shipped out. I haven't actually gotten mine yet, but it's got a bunch of shit on it. Uh, looks fucking awesome. I think if you're a Death Promise fan, you'll definitely like the Jackie Sploitation set. Jack, have you gotten yours yet? I know you ordered it too, right? I, I have not, but I but I can confirm it is still in stock. So still in stock. Uh, okay, def, that's definitely good. Get it. It's limited limited numbers, but I can't. It's three discs of of it's three discs, exploitation yeah. movies. Also, this is like our our low key way of uh, putting the pressure on Justin to get our packages <laughs> to us. <laughs> no, he shipped mine. Mine is I'm just in the yeah. Chicago Post void where everything gets yeah. to Chicago and then rests here for. And and what's weird for me is in Chicago, I swear to God, like they only deliver packages on Sundays, but it was a holiday mm. weekend, so I don't know. Maybe next week. Yeah, maybe packages in Chicago. It's like a sourdough starter. You know, you gotta like you gotta let it rest for a while. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's incredible. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think they mentioned it's like 20 hours or something to watch everything in the set. So you were getting God. your money's worth. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a marathon. Myro, so you got to watch 20 straight hours of Jackie Sploitation. How's that sound? Uh, yeah, uh, well, if it's required, if it's not required, I, I probably will just play Mass Effect <laughs> instead. That is a, that is a preview for next podcast, by the way. Oh wait, I'm not on it, so uh, we have Bond coming up. But the next podcast I'm on. That's good. Uh, rest assured, I, I'll probably just be putting over Mass Effect Three because I won't be watching anything else. Yeah, I think that's fine. That's fine. Although, I mean, that's a controversial one. Some people didn't like the Mass Effect. Well, they weren't I, happy I mean, with I'll it, probably so. be like five hours in at that point. It'll seem great. This is good. Like you playing through the Mass Effect series is awesome because it's kind of it's it's a good way to. Uh, really sum up the podcast as a whole where we get to relitigate uh, discourse about films from years and years and years ago just because there's a shiny new version of one. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Anyways, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast today, do us a big favor. There's a couple of links in the description. One will take you to our iTunes page where you can leave us a written five-star review and that'll help us defeat the mighty algorithm because... Truly, Apple is the landlord of the podcast world. Help us kick them in the dickhole by giving us a five-star written review. Also, there's a link that'll lead you to our Patreon page. And uh, yeah, if you give us a couple bucks, any amount of money gives you access to a whole backlog of podcasts and written content, as well as new stuff that we put together. And uh, apparently there's another episode where we talk about people under the stairs. So there you go. Two for one. Uh, you can see if if Steve argues with Steve on that one. I still don't think there I was are, on fact, that episode. Three three episodes uh, that I believe uh, you did all three, Steve, uh, as did I. Uh, from the same month when we celebrated uh, Wes Craven's life upon his passing, uh-huh. and we did a shotgun wedding of a deadly friend, and we did two mm. Sharking the Jumps, one for Wes Craven's career and one for the Nightmare on Elm Street series as a whole. Oh, okay. Okay. Perhaps the busiest month we ever had on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably. And I don't remember any of it. That's really good. Um, it was it was a different time. Come on. Anyways, uh, yeah. Also, if you uh, want to tweet at us, if you got any uh, thoughts, comments, questions, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, at Optimism Vaccine on Twitter is where to do that. Or you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Uh, 
Jake isn't here, so uh, I guess fuck it. Landlord. Bet you won't put your trust in me. Landlord. Bet you won't let me go further than you can see. Landlord. Bet you think I plan something and won't say. Landlord. You think I'm thinking of a slicker way. That's a Landlord. <laughs> that was that was. I'm very proud of that remix I just did.